Well, just uh, a reminder for you about that uh, gold insert in your service folder. If you'd like to pull that out at this time or a guest and wasn't aware of that, um, please do make use of that as uh, we study God's word together. Dear friends, um, some of you know this already because I think I mentioned it in a, a sermon once, um, that my family and I went to the Black Hills uh, this past summer, and one of the, the, the things that we saw and, and, and got to experience is the, the scenic twists and turns of what they call Needles Highway. Um, anyone, raise your hand if you've ever driven on Needles Highway. So maybe about a third of us. Um, beautiful. As I was driving, I was kind of thinking to myself, all of the hard work and engineering that it must have taken to, to put this road in the midst of these hills and through the, the rocks and so forth. Well, for those of you who've been there, you may know this, and, and I didn't, but in one section of the Needles Highway, high up in the hills, um, you're driving in this two-lane highway, and all of a sudden, it turns into a parking lot, all right? And at least that's what it seemed like. All of a sudden, it just seems as if the highway has stopped and there's a parking lot right there in the middle. I have never experienced anything like that before. I thought I maybe had taken a wrong turn or missed a turn or something. And as I was seeing all these cars parked in the middle of the highway, um, I was about to turn around when I saw this. And right at the end of this like parking lot in the middle of the highway is this tunnel which only one car, barely, can make it through. And so, again, I've driven a lot of years now. I've never experienced anything like this. A two-lane highway turning into a parking lot, and the only way out, really, is to turn around or to go through a one-lane tunnel. And I'm not sure what to do. Seriously, I, I, I'm not making, I didn't know what to do. And I suppose wisdom would have said to get out and ask someone who was parked, but um, nah, that's not fun. <laughs> so I told the co-pilot, my wife, what I was going to do, and we were just going to go through that tunnel whether um, we were supposed to or not. We didn't see any signs that we should. We didn't see any signs that we shouldn't. Now, it ended up, as those of you who have been there, that it was the right thing to do, although I still think it's really goofy. I mean, put up a sign or something to let me know. It was the right thing to do, but I didn't know that driving through. And as we started through, we're inching along, and I'm thinking about, well, if the two-lane highway is on the other side of this opening, what if a car comes from that direction and comes fast and doesn't see us? And all these thoughts are moving through my, my mind as we're inching along, being able to touch stone on either side of the car. And we're in the middle of where we started, this side of the tunnel, and where we hope to be, and while we're in the middle, there's anxiety and nervousness. Now, it's kind of a snapshot of life, isn't it? Isn't that kind of like life? There are all these situations and circumstances, and you could name probably five of them right now in your life, where you're kind of in the middle of something. In the middle of where you started or where God directed you or a, a, a uh, illness or a diagnosis of a, a relative and, and you're kind of in the middle of that diagnosis or that situation and where you hope things turn out to be. 
in the middle of school, we're hoping for a college acceptance letter someday. Or in the middle of a dating relationship, we're hoping that it ends in marriage. In the middle of a project, we're hoping that someday it ends with success. Um, in the middle of parenthood, which I am in the middle of, I'm hoping it ends with well-adjusted Christian children that just adore their dad. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. In the middle of a job search, you're hoping it ends with a fulfilling, well-paying occupation or job. In the middle of an illness, you're hoping it ends with healing. In the middle of a disappointment or, or a challenge or whatever else, we're hoping it ends with joy. Or maybe even for this church, in the middle of a plan for the future, we're hoping, we're praying, it ends with more space to do the ministry. Now, if this is true, that we spend a good portion of our life in the middle between where we started or God directed us and where we hope to be, it's probably good to consider how do we live in that space? What direction does God give to us when we're in the middle? Because even if you're not in the middle of anything right now, you are in the middle of birth and heaven someday. So at the very least, you're in the middle of that. Now today, God um, kind of answers that question of how we should live in the middle by taking a look at an Old Testament God follower that you know probably mostly for building a big old boat. But the truth is, is that there is so much more to learn from the life of Noah than just his carpentry skills. And so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 6, and we're introduced to Noah in kind of a formal way here, beginning with verse 9. Um, first we're going to read verses 9 through 12. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Not that he didn't have sin, but just that he followed God. It continues, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, at that time, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Noah lived about 4,000 years before Jesus, about 2,000 years after creation, about 2,000 years before Abraham. So we're going way back in world history. And during that time, the world had totally sort of gone away from God, from trust in him, from faith. You might say we have in our world today too, but it would seem the way that Moses writes here, that in a lot of ways, Noah likely was the only God follower left. Maybe his sons, we have little in, uh, sort of allusions to that maybe, but Noah especially, the only God follower left on earth. And in Genesis 6, it says that this grieved God's heart. Have you ever created something, made something, and someone, a younger brother or sister, just kind of put a marker through it? For that reason, and for others, this destroying of God's perfect creation, the going away from God, it grieved him much. And so, verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people 
for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them, the people, and the earth. Now, if you're brand new to church, or to the Bible, or to God, as some of us here are, this might be a verse that bothers us. I thought God is love. I thought God is forgiving. And those things are absolutely true. But God is also holy, that is, without sin, and just. That is, a holy God cannot let sin just go on without punishment. Now, for you and me, a God who hates sin, he took that punishment out on who? Instead of us, he took it out on Jesus. And so God is both holy and just and punishes sin and loves us and forgives us through faith in Jesus. Both are true. And because God is God and because he's holy and just and because he hates sin, when he feels as if his patience has run out, that's okay. God is not the bad guy here. But his patience had run out with a very, very sinful world. And he says he's going to destroy it. Verse 14. So Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. So basically there would be an 18-inch slit at the top. Um, you have hundreds of animals. Ventilation is not a bad idea. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant, my, my promise of a savior with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded. Now, God just told Noah, build this huge ship. <clears throat> the very next verse in chapter 7, verse 1, says this. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And in the span of one verse of what Moses wrote... We go from God telling him to write the ark, or write, to build the ark, to the ark being built, okay? In the span of one verse, without a whole lot said, we go from one side of that one-lane tunnel all the way to the other side of the one-lane tunnel, and a whole, not a whole lot is said about the middle. We want to talk about the middle, Did you know that the Bible says that it was over a hundred years between verse 22 and verse 1? Over a hundred years Noah spent of his 600 plus year life building this 
boat. Now, this makes sense, doesn't it, that it would take a while? One and a half football fields long, 10 more yards wide than a football field, four stories high, three decks, and guess what? Noah, being kind of the only God follower in the world at the time, he was both chief, foreman, and crew. Think about collecting enough wood for the ship that big and then building it. Over a hundred years, Noah spent where? In the middle. In the middle of where he started, Noah, build this boat for me, and where he hoped to be in an ark before the floodwaters came. And that wasn't even all of it, Noah's time in the middle. I want you to think about the ridicule and harassment that Noah must have received from the people around him. I mean, if you've got a little piece of wood and you're whittling a little toy ship to stick on the water, um, you can kind of just keep that in your garage and, you know, no one knows. You're building a ship, a football field and a half long. People are going to notice what's going on. People are going to wonder, what is this guy Noah up to? The other thing is that Noah did not live by any large body of water. So a football half and a half football field long ship, and there's no water near it. You can imagine the Noah jokes going around town. You can imagine how people were wondering and pointing at him as kind of being the, the village crazy guy. You know, every village or town has someone, right? Noah was theirs. Every morning for 100 years, people are sipping their, their uh, coffee, looking out the window. Is Noah out there again? Yeah, dear, he is again. Over 100 years, Noah is in the middle between where God directed him and where he hoped to be. And yet, here's the only verse in Genesis written to describe what's going on. Verse 22 again. This is the only verse in Genesis about the middle. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now that's amazing. That every day for a hundred years during this span, Noah's in the middle and he simply does what God commands. What are you doing today? Well, what God commanded me. I'm building a ship, but I'm just doing what God commanded me, what God directed me to do. Absolutely amazing. You see, it's in the space in the middle, my friends, where we find ourselves drifting from God the easiest, isn't it? Because when God sends us off to do something, and it's not quite like Noah, he doesn't appear to us, but when we feel moved by God's word to do something, we're excited and gung-ho and we move quickly just had our first child, moved quick, you're gung-ho, just got a new job, just have a new uh, way to volunteer at church, gung-ho. And, but it's in the middle between when you started and where you hope to be. The things get hard. That's the space in which we sometimes doubt, in which we sometimes give up, in which we sometimes get upset with God. Put down the board. And stop building. person might think, maybe you thought I'd been waiting and waiting for the right person to come along to spend my life with. 
it's not happening. And so sometimes in the middle, people compromise their faith or their purity. They put the board down and stop following God's direction. Or maybe you're looking for some financial stability. We all want it. But in the process, we find ourselves making a decision maybe that was right for our pocketbook or our bank account, but for our family and our faith in every other way was totally the wrong decision. You know what happened in the middle? We put the board down. We stopped following. Or when a relative has an illness, or when we face a personal challenge, or whatever it might be, and we become disillusioned with God, show me the end, get me to the end, get me through the tunnel, in the middle, we doubt. We challenge God. We become frustrated. How did Noah do it? Is there a secret formula? Well, I don't know about a secret formula, but there is direction for us. And in fact, it doesn't come from Genesis. It comes from the book of Hebrews, New Testament letter. And in chapter 11 of that uh, book, there's this entire list of people of faith who were in the middle between where God directed them and where they hoped to be. In each of these cases, the writer of the Hebrews tells us how they got through the middle. And listed amongst these people in that chapter 11, we find our guy, Noah. Here's what verse 7 of Hebrews 11 says. By faith. Let me say it again. By, through, in, faith. Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear... He's writing about the middle, isn't he? In respect of God, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, in the middle, he condemned the world and became heir of the holiness or righteousness that comes by faith. Not by willpower, not by great carpentry skills, not by intestinal fortitude, not by closing his ears to the people making fun of him. It was by faith, in faith. He went board by board, day by day, in the middle. And what does that mean by faith? Well, look at the last part of this verse first. I'm sorry, Julia, go back. It says he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That is, he received forgiveness. We've been speaking pretty highly of Noah so far, haven't we? And he is a great man of faith. The Bible tells us he is. But there were days in the middle that I suppose and suspect that Noah wanted to put the hammer down and not grab another board. And although we don't have reference to that, what we do know is after the flood happened, there's this very embarrassing account of elderly Noah that if something like that was written about you to be read for generations, you probably wouldn't come back to church, okay? Noah was a sinful man. But he went forward by faith. And ultimately that means, most importantly, he put his trust in the coming Savior. He knew, by faith, that the greatest peace he could have is knowing that he was not an earner of righteousness, but an heir of righteousness that came through faith. 
And my friends, when you're in the middle, I don't care what it is, there is no greater comfort than the peace that comes knowing that whatever happens, heaven is the end of it, ultimately. And by faith, in that way, we move forward. But my friends, um, faith is not only how we face death someday. Faith is also how we handle the challenges of life in another way, moving forward in faith. And to illustrate that, to give you a picture to remember about what this means, um, I want to bring up something that happened this summer. Um, as some of you know, we had or hosted here at church a music camp for teens. And one of the things that Pastor Steve and I were asked to do was to do sort of a Bible study with a hands-on type of activity uh, for the teens. So here's what we did. We took all of the teens out into the, the grassy part to the south of the church and Steve and I went into the shed and pretty much grabbed half of the stuff that was in there and just sort of dumped it all over the grass, okay? And then we told the teens, here's your, here's your challenge. You need to walk from one side of the grassy field to the other without falling or getting hurt, all right? All this stuff all over the field. Sounds pretty easy, right? The other part of it is that they were blindfolded, okay? A little harder now. But we gave them each a partner. And if you look at the, the picture now, um, the partner, one partner, would speak to the person who was blindfolded. And so the person with the blindfold, their job was to listen, to follow, and obey. And guess whose responsibility it was to get them from where they started to where they hoped to be? The person speaking, right? The blindfolded person listened, followed, obeyed. There was someone else without a blindfold that was responsible for getting them from where they started through the middle to where they hoped to be. That's how we move forward in faith. We don't know what's on the other side of the tunnel. God does. And so you, me, when we move forward in faith, we're not scared like some, you know, Twin Cities uh, guy in the Black Hills. We're not afraid going in the middle. We trust, we listen, we obey, and then we leave to God the responsibility of moving us from where we were to where we hope to be. That's not our responsibility. It's not our job to know all the details of the future. God knows, and he guides us. We just listen, follow, and obey. Whatever challenge you're facing, whatever you're in the middle of, listen, follow, obey. Trust God with the responsibility of getting you where he wants you to be. Now, as we close in our church, there's been blessings over the last number of years that I don't think any of us could have imagined and the awesome reality of this, these blessings is that um, we need more space. We need to build something, um, not an ark, but a building. And there are some clear differences between our situation and Noah's. For instance, never on a Sunday did God come down and say to us, all right, maketh for thyself a building of pine wood and cover it with bricks inside and out. 
Maketh thou to be a 500-seat sanctuary and enough room in the atrium so thou shalt not bumpeth into each other, okay? There was nothing like that. Another difference, God willing, it doesn't take us 100 years and float away when we're done, okay? But God's still speaking to us. The easiest thing to do as a church, and lots of churches are okay with it, is to be comfortable. If we can pay the utilities and the pastor, at least one, right? You know, both. We're comfortable. But I don't believe that's listening, following, and obeying. Because listen what Jesus says to us. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise your Father. Or to Peter, Jesus said, I want you to feed my lambs. That is, share the word. Feed my sheep. Or to the disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My friends, this is something that I've had to grow into. God has not called us to be comfortable. He has called us to do the greatest work that he has ever entrusted to anyone. And it's not being a pastor. It's being a Christian who isn't comfortable with people dying and going to hell, but wants with their resources, their time, their gifts to come together and to make an eternal difference. Truth is, there needs to be planning, and we're planning, but the reality is there are some parts of the middle that we're in right now that we just go forward how? In faith. It sounds like a good name for a capital campaign, doesn't it? Maybe we'll try that. We listen, we follow, we obey, and we entrust to God responsibility in whatever area of life to get us where he wants us to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you today for all the many gifts that you've given to us as a congregation. We're in the middle of something, all of us, and whether it's in our personal life or church life, we'd ask you today to help us to follow your voice and at the same time to trust you to get us where you want us to be. Dear Lord, in our prayers today, we also remember um, our, our um, brother and sister in the faith, um, Audrey, Dale Lemke's sister, who is diagnosed with cancer, and also Delbert Murray's brother, who is also going through many health difficulties. And we'd ask you to, in this time in the middle, to help them follow, listen, and obey, and to find their hope and their peace and confidence in you. We also join in praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.